Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you. I'm Pastor Steve, and we are going to open up the Word together this morning. And I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. While you're turning, I wanted to highlight we had our annual meeting this past week and on Thursday. And uh, there was a fantastic video that one of our men, Joe Miller, put together highlighting our past year and just all the different ministries that take place through uh, Faith Bible Church. Encourage you, after the service, uh, we're going to show that. And if you'd like to just watch that for a little while, feel free to do that. Or you can stop in at the office sometime and we can make arrangements for you to get a copy. We are in part three of a four-week series on disciple-making. And our first session, we asked the question, why are we here? And just as is printed on our purpose statement on the front of our bulletin every week, we are here to make disciples, followers of Jesus, those who follow after Jesus Christ in such a way that they are emulating him, that the life of Christ is lived out through the life of the follower. And to be a true disciple or follower of Jesus Christ, one must begin by becoming a Christian, moving to a point where we're not just curious about who this person is, but we become convinced in our own hearts and lives that he is God, that he died on the cross as payment for our sin, and rose again from the dead, proving that he is God. And we've transferred the dependence of our life from ourselves, thinking that I can be a good enough person to earn merit with God, and I put my dependence, my trust, onto the person of Jesus Christ. At that moment, I'm a Christian. But my following Jesus does not stop there, and the ramifications of the gospel does not stop there. You see, the gospel is more than just message of good news about salvation. The gospel is a message of transformation. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has ramifications for every area of our lives. As we are disciples of him, we demonstrate our commitment, our devotion to him in, in, in three different ways. And we've, we've capsulized that using three words. We express our devotion to Jesus Christ by connecting in Christian community, by growing in our devotion to Jesus Christ, and by including others who do not know him. We've talked about including Today, we are going to talk about growing. To do that, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting to read in verse 6. I'm going to read this passage out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the scripture. I'll be reading from chapter 2, verse 6, down through chapter 3, verse 4. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, 
For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who follow him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is a spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, But as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? As we're going to see... This morning as we unfold this passage, in order to grow as a Christian, we need this book. In order to grow as a Christian, we have to be in the Bible. We have to read it. We have to study it. We have to know more of it. But it's not enough just to be in the Bible. We have to apply it to our own hearts. It's the Bible that that helps us see what honors the Lord and what does not. It helps us see how to live out the Christian life, that we can't do it in our own strength, but it's actually the Spirit of God who enables us to live for Jesus Christ so the life of Christ is lived out in your life and my life. But lest we forget, it's not the Bible that is our end goal. Our end goal, ultimately, is not to seek the Bible, but a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Studying the Bible is just a means to get to know Him. This past Thursday evening, I became a grandpa again. Our third little granddaughter. We have a 20-month-old granddaughter, one that's almost three weeks old. And now Thursday night, little Madeline Jane was born. Now, it was exciting on Friday morning. We got to go see baby Madeline, and which is true for both of our sons, the girls they married were daughters of good friends of ours, people that 
we were friends with way before their daughters were a glimmer in the eyes of our sons. And so we went to go see Madeline for the first time with her other grandparents. As we opened the doors to the uh, birth unit and started walking down this long hallway, it seemed like it's terribly long, and the kids were clear at the end, I became exasperated with these two grandmas because they were reading all of the signs on all the doors on our track down the hallway, seeing what everybody else named their babies and seeing all the birth weights. And finally, I could not handle it anymore. And I said, ladies, I'm going to take the lead. Let's you follow me because there's a person at the end of this hallway. This is not a time to enjoy the journey. This is a destination trip. And they slowly followed. Now, to get to that person at the end of the hall, we had to go down the hallway. But not forget that there is a person at the end. To get to know the person of Jesus Christ, we have to go down the hallway. We have to be in this Word, applying it to our hearts. But let's not forget that we are not seeking the Bible. We are seeking the person of the Bible. We are seeking the person of Jesus Christ to know more of Him to experience more of Him, to emulate Him, to have His life replicated in our lives. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3. I'm just gonna, I'll just read it quickly. In Philippians 3, notice his end goal is not just to study more of the Word. His end goal, he is a person at the end of the hallway. Philippians chapter 3, Starting the read in verse 7 says, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes on the basis of faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Notice what Paul says, that I may know Him. And so if we are going to grow, we have to be in the Bible. But not just to study it as an academic pursuit. We come to the Bible to apply it. And by the way, we're not the ones that apply it. We're going to see that the indwelling Spirit of God applies it. Not just as a pursuit of knowledge, but in pursuing a person, Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verses 6 down through verse 11. And we're going to see that the work of the Spirit of God is to reveal the depths of the wisdom of God, specifically the depths of the wisdom of a crucified Savior. Remember, the world thinks the message of a crucified Savior is foolishness. 
Last week we saw that the world thinks the message is foolish and the messenger is foolish, us. But the Spirit of God can take a simple messenger with a simple message and change lives and transform lives. And so now, as the Apostle Paul comes to verse 6, he had just said uh, in verse 4 that my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. He wants to make sure that we know that there is a wisdom out there. It's not the wisdom of this world. It's the wisdom of God. And so that's why he begins in verse 6 when he says, We do speak wisdom. Don't think that there's not wisdom. But it's not the world's wisdom, it's the wisdom of God. We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Now, remember, whenever we read our Bible, it's important for us to remember the verses around it. And just last week, Paul has already told us what he's talking about when he's referring to this wisdom in these verses. If you look back to chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling lock, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now look down on verse 30. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. So here, we're just a few verses later, when Paul's talking about the fact that there is a wisdom from God, he's still talking about Jesus Christ. He's still talking about Christ crucified. So in verse 6, he said, we're speaking of wisdom. It's It's been a mystery. The Old Testament prophets could not even totally cle- clearly see it. But God predestined it before time he knew he would send his son as the savior for the world and in the crucified christ there is great wisdom in fact we can't even comprehend it apart from the spirit of god notice he says that verse 10 for to us god revealed them or this wisdom Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And I think in that little phrase, even the depths of God, the Apostle Paul is referring to a wealth of New Testament teaching. He's talking about the ramifications of, of the crucified Christ. The gospel is a message that goes much deeper and wider than just a message of salvation from hell. The gospel is a message of transformation. It's for us now, not just for one day when I die. It's a message that has ramifications for every aspect of life. So much so that the Apostle Paul here says that this wisdom of the crucified Christ, the Spirit of God is the one that teaches us this wisdom. And this wisdom is the very depths of God. And as we look at the New Testament, we see examples of how the Apostle Paul 
is saying that the crucified Christ is not only our means to salvation, but he's our means to have freedom from our bondage to sin. The crucified Christ is not only our means to salvation, but he is the power that's available to us to live our lives in such a way that Jesus Christ is seen in and through us. The crucified Christ is not only our means to salvation, but the crucified Christ is our means to transformation. The very depths of God. If you want to keep your finger in 1 Corinthians, I just want to flesh this out just a little bit. For example, if you come to Romans chapter 6, a passage I think that every Christian should just continually be meditating on. In Romans 6, we have the answer to that trap that so many of us as Christians find ourselves in, at least at some points in our lives, where we start thinking that sin is the ultimate victor in our lives. Oh, I've sinned in this area before. I've lost my temper so many times, I might as well just do it again, because there's nothing that I can do to keep from doing this. Yes, there is. Because, as a Christian, I don't have to sin anymore. Before I was a Christian, my sin nature, my flesh, that bent towards sin within me, it had complete control. But Paul says here in Romans 6 that because of the crucified Christ, I have been freed from the stranglehold that my sin nature had on me. So in chapter 6, starting to read in verse 4, it says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likenesses of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Paul is saying at the moment, that I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that you put faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, we died to who we used to be. The person that I was before Christ is dead. And just as Jesus Christ died and went to the grave, that person that I used to be is gone. Jesus rose from the dead. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, at the moment I put my trust in Christ, I became a new person. The differentiation is this. I don't have to sin anymore. I am not hopelessly bound to the sin nature. In fact, that's why Paul says down in verse 11, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That means if I'm on that sin cycle where I say, Oh, here I go again. I have to preach truth to myself. And says, No, I'm not. I don't have to sin. I've been freed from that. I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me who actually will enable me to live for God. You see, that's the power of the gospel. That is the the message of Christ crucified for me today. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the power, the passage that we just read a few minutes ago. In verse 10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, meaning that the same power that was available to raise Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me to live out the Christian life. We talk about the fact that the gospel is a transformative gospel. 
That means that the gospel changes lives. Several passages talk about that. For example, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 brings out the connection between the cross and transformation. When it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 also talks about this transformation that's available. You see what the Apostle Paul here is saying is this. There is a wisdom. A wisdom of God. It's a message of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And in that message, by means of the Spirit of God, the absolute fullness of God is available to us. The the power of the gospel is there to touch every aspect of the Christian's life. Now, how do I know that? How do I learn what God has for me in the gospel? Through this book. Because the Holy Spirit takes the words of this book and impresses them upon us, changing us, transforming us, reminding us of who we are in the person of Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with my uh, accountability partner. I've met with the same guy for 20 years. In fact, he was my brother's best friend when we were growing up as kids on the other side of the state became a pastor, and then had been a pastor for a few years, and then he came to faith in Jesus. Not the best way to do it, but it, he came to Jesus as a pastor. And then uh, his wife was at elementary school one day right after we moved, and my wife and they both said, hey, my husband's from Council Bluffs, my husband's from Council Bluffs, my husband's a pastor, my husband's a pastor. And lo and behold, it was my brother's best friend, I've met with him ever since. Well, my buddy challenged me two weeks ago that he's just been meditating on Psalm 37, really just spending time in Psalm 37. And I found myself this last week, later in the evening, when it's time to go bed. You ever have one of those nights where your mind is just going like 200 miles an hour, and you're just running all kinds of different scenarios about your kids, about your work, everything. It's just, everything's just going, 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 going. What if this happens? What if this happens? Should I do this? Should I do this? And I was in one of those modes. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to turn to Psalm 37. And I grabbed my wife's Bible off of our bookcase. And I went downstairs by myself. And I started reading these words. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. He'll do it. He will bring forth your righteousness in the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And it was just like the Spirit of God just overwhelmed me with those verses. And all I could think of was, that's true. That's true. I need to, I need to apply that right now. And I went to bed and slept like a baby. It was great. You know, when we come to this book, we shouldn't come to this book like it's, like it's gonna be taking a college course. We need to come to this book expecting to hear from God. 
As Woodrow Kroll said when I served on the board of Back to the Bible, it's the only book that God ever wrote. Our pursuit of this book is not an academic pursuit. Yes, we need to study hard. We need to dig into the Word. I spend time in the Greek and the Hebrew, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's our Heavenly Father. We need to hear from Him. You all know that uh, we have been walking with my youngest son through some pretty tough waters uh, this summer as he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and, and now is on this gross drug that makes him sick as a dog. And after he first started taking it, I don't think he knew how sick he would be. And he called me up the first night and was pretty distraught. And I talked with him for a while. And then about a half hour he called me back and said, Hey, once you know I'm okay, I just needed to, to hear from my dad. And that's why we come to the book. Because we need to hear from, uh, I'm not trying to be trite about this, we need to hear from our Heavenly Dad. We need to hear from our Heavenly Father. That's how we grow. Because He takes this book by means of the indwelling Spirit of God and He uses the word of this book to change us, to transform us. And that's what the Apostle Paul is continuing to develop as we go on down through these verses. As we come to verses 12 through through 16, we see that we don't just come to the book to read it. We come to the book to apply it. We need to line ourselves up with it. Notice with me that we've got to apply to our lives what the Spirit reveals. And as we come to verse 12... The Apostle Paul clearly says, by the way, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. We have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So that, here's the purpose for the indwelling Spirit, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not even a Christian. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 promises us that as a Christian, I've been sealed by the Spirit of God. We have God living inside of us. That's something that is so special that we don't even, we can't fathom it. Most Old Testament believers did not have the, the, the indwelling Spirit of God. The Spirit of God only came upon certain ones to equip them for service. That's why David prayed as he sinned, Please, Father, don't take thy spirit from me. He was afraid of losing the spirit of God. We can't even comprehend that. That the spirit of God, God himself, is dwelling inside of you continually, wanting to take the words of this book and transform us through these words. So much so, that at the bottom of that section, the Apostle Paul talks about the spiritual man or spiritual woman saying that we have the mind of Christ. That for the one who is a mature disciple, the mature disciple has allowed the Spirit of God to transform them so much that they start to think Christianly through a biblical grid. That's where, that's the work of the Spirit of God. Now, 
in these verses, there's actually four different kinds of people referred to. There is a natural man. That's a non-Christian, does not have the Holy Spirit. There is a spiritual person. That's our mature disciple who has learned to live under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There's an infant, a baby Christian. Nothing wrong with that. We all started there. It's a new Christian. And then also there is a baby who never grew up. What the King James refers to as the carnal Christian or the people of flesh. Those are the four people on this section. If you look with me at verse 14, the Apostle Paul refers to the natural man, the person who does not have the indwelling Spirit of God. It says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. There's no way that a non-Christian will be able to live out the Christian life because the non-Christian does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside. They can't understand the depths of God. It's foolishness to them. But for the spiritual man, the person who experienced new birth in Jesus Christ and then as a disciple started walking after him and kept listening to the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God continues to work in them and empower them and control them by the Holy Spirit, by control them. That person, that spiritual one, it tells us that one appraises all things, verse 15. It's a legal term. It's used in legal writings at the same time as the writing of the New Testament. It means to examine and discern. It means taking the words of this book as the Holy Spirit impresses them upon us and then not just pursuing that as an intellectual exercise, but actually applying it to the heart. So much so that that person begins to think Christianly. I joke sometimes about how I like to watch cooking shows I never cook, but I just like to watch the show. Well, I was doing it again this week. And I was watching this mature chef battling out with the young gun. The young, popular chef that's had all kinds of awards already and uh, really knows his stuff, he thinks. The older, mature chef was very gracious toward this young gun. But he made this comment. I became a better chef when I started to listen. Oh man, you could drive a truck through that. I became a better chef when I started to listen. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. As we are in reading our Bible or in a, in a adult ed class or a community group talking about the scripture and the a concept that's being shared just jumps off the page toward us. It's time for us to listen. To say, you know what? I need to adjust my life. Because if we don't say yes to the Holy Spirit, we start to stunt our growth. And that's what Paul talks about in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Stunting spiritual growth. A spiritual runt. 
And that happens when we start saying no to the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul is just talking about a baby. Man, I love these verses this week. He's just talking about a little precious baby like little Madeline or little Emmeline in my life. And he's saying, uh, Grandpa, don't give that little two-day-old two baby a ribeye. Now, I could see myself trying to do that. I really could. Having a big 16-ounce ribeye and say, Here, Madeline, just let Grandpa put a little taste of the steak on your tongue because you really need to learn how to love steak. No, we wouldn't do that. A little baby can't eat a ribeye steak. And that's all that Paul's talking about here in regards to Christians. With a new Christian, he says, you can't give a, you can't give a brand new Christian a ribeye. He says, before I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. That's why when I work with a person who's a brand new Christian, I spend a lot of time just going over the gospel, just the message of the gospel and the fact that we can't earn our salvation, that it's solely by faith in Jesus Christ. But here's what happened with the Corinthians. They didn't grow. They, they, they stayed like little babies, even though they kept getting older. Now that's gross. So Paul says... Here's the problem. Verse 2. Indeed, even now you're not able to have solid food. I can't go into the depths of the ramifications of the cross of Christ with you and how the gospel is meant to be applying to your lives right now because it's transformative. I can't even go into those depths with you because you... You're not able to even take it in. Why? Because they've started saying no to the Holy Spirit. They haven't been responsive to the Word of God. And Paul gives an example of just where they are when he says, look at all the jealousy and the strife that's in your lives. You haven't grown. Two summers ago, Barbara and I went to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I went with a little bit of fear because my wife is a beach person and I'm not. I'm a sip coffee in the mountains with a book person. My wife is a lay in the sun and enjoy life person. But I wanted to do this for her. So I was a little nervous about the beach portion because she really wants to hang out on the beach. And then she solved it for me. For like 15 bucks for 48 hours, we rented this huge umbrella in a chair and I would, I just loved it. I sat in the, in the shade reading my book about Abraham Lincoln and she was out in the water just having a high old time and it was just perfect. It was great. I loved it. Well, on our way to and from North, uh, the outer banks of North Carolina, I don't like interstates. I want to be on the, the back roads. I want to come to the little crab shack and, and meet Thelma Lou, who owns the restaurant, and sit down and have food drip down my elbows. And I just, I just want to get off the beaten path. And all I had was my iPhone. Now, I found out that my iPhone was worthless in rural North Carolina. And... It didn't connect all the time, and then it kept, the battery kept, I didn't have a phone, because I said, this is ridiculous, I can't keep doing this, I, I, I want to go. 
So I did something I never thought I would do again. I bought a GPS. Now, I had had one like 15 years ago, and I thought I'm never going to have These things are obsolete. They're not. They've made some great improvements. Like if you're in a big metropolitan area and you, it'll say be in the six lane from the right out of ten. It says this is great. Or if there's a traffic jam up ahead, it says diverting. There's a traffic jam up ahead. It's awesome. And I can just drive past those people and say, hey, I have a GPS. You don't. Well, in order to have that GPS do its job, we sort of need to listen to it, don't we? Like if it says, there, you're, there's a 72-minute wait ahead. You need to exit here. And I say, ah, I think I'll just go on and just see if there really is a 72-minute wait and just ignore it. What's going to happen? I'm going to be in a 72-minute wait. Or if it says, uh, turn right on 31st Street. And I say, I'm going to turn left. Well, the GPS, it'll start still talk to me. It still tries to gently nudge me and say, well, you blew it there. It doesn't really say that, but you turn left. Now you need to turn right. And I said, I'm going to take another left. If I keep ignoring those little promptings, you know what happens? I get lost. I get off course. And what happened to the Corinthians is they stopped growing because they stopped listening to the Spirit of God. As the Spirit of God, it's, the Spirit of God dwells in every Christian. But if we stop listening, to the Holy Spirit, we start getting off course in our lives. You see, the whole point of this passage is growth. This book is the hallway. We have to go down the hallway to grow, but the book is not the end goal. The end goal is a person, Jesus Christ. We as elders and pastors of Faith Bible Church desperately want to continue growing ourselves and have all of us as a church family grow together. And we're continually looking at our our programming and what we do here to make sure that we can be, to the best that we can, is staying in the book. Not just as an academic pursuit, but to stay in the book so we can grow closer and more like a person, the person of Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and you don't know if you are in right relationship with God or not. I would encourage you, don't leave today without finding out a little bit more. You can simply stop in our prayer room right behind you. One of our elders will be there and you can just say, Hey, can I have one of those books to talk about Jesus? They can give you one of the books. You can take out a Bible of your own and look up verses that assure you and show you how you can be in right relationship with God. Or maybe you're here today and you are just burdened. I'd encourage you, stop back in the prayer room. Just spend some time in prayer with a brother or sister in the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you that you haven't left us here on this earth by ourselves. But as Christians, each one of us has the indwelling Spirit of God. And we thank you that you are at work in us through your word. Help us to be people of the book with the end goal of knowing more of you, of hearing from you, so that we can be more like Jesus, to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, so that one day 
we will be like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.